Good morning. Today's scripture is from Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 to 25. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his <clears throat> own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw, and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. <clears throat> when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherd, shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Reol, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Reol asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. سالها گذشت و موسی بزرگ شد. روزی او به دیدن قوم خود یعنی انبرانها رفت. هنگامی که چشم بر کارهای سخت قوم خود دوخته بود، یک مصری را دید که یکی از انبرانیها را کتک می‌زند. آنگاه به اطراف خود نگاه کرد و چون کسی را ندید مرد مصری را کشت و جسدش را زیر شنها پنهان نمود روز بعد باز موسا به دیدن قومش رفت این بار دو انبرانی را دید که با هم گلاویز شدند جلو رفت به مرد که دیگری را میزد گفت چرا برادر خود را میزنی آن مرد گفت چه کسی تو را حاکم و داور ما ساخته آیا میخواهی مرا هم بکشی همانطور که آن مصری را کشتی وقتی موسی فهمید که کشته شدن آن مصری به دست او آشکار شده است ترسید هنگامی که خبر کشته شدن آن مصری به گوش فرعون رسید دستور داد موسی را بگیرند و بکشند اما موسی به سرزمین مدیان فرار کرد روزی در آنجا سر چاهی نشسته بود هفت دختر یترون کاهن مدیان آمدند تا از چاه آب بکشند و آبشخورها را پر کنند تا گله پدرشان را سیراب نمایند ولی چند چوپان آمدند و دختران یتران را از سر چاه کنار زدند تا گله های خود را سیراب کنند. اما موسا جلو رفت و آنها را عقب راند و به دختران کمک کرد تا گوسفندانشان را آب دهند. هنگامی که دختران به خانه بازگشتند پدرشان رئول پرسید چطور شد که امروز انقدر زود برگشتید؟ گفتند یک مرد مصری به ما کمک کرد و چوپانان را کنار زد و برای ما از چاه آب کشید و گله را سیراب کرد. 
پدرشان پرسید آن مرد حالا کجاست چرا او را با خود نیاوردید بروید و او را دعوت کنید تا با ما غذا بخورد موسی دعوت او را قبول کرد و از آن پس در خانه آنها ماند یترون هم دختر خود سفوره را به عقد موسی درآورد سفوره برای موسی پسری زایید و موسی که در آن دیار غریب بود به همین دلیل او را جرشوم یعنی غریب نامید سالها گذشت و پادشاه مصر مرد اما بنی اسرائیل همچنان در بردگی به سر می‌بردند و از ظلمی که با آنان می‌شد می‌نالیدند و از خدا کمک می‌خواستند خدا ناله ایشان را شنید و عهد خود را با اجدادشان یعنی ابراهیم و اسحاق و یعقوب به یاد آورد پس خدا از روی لطف بر ایشان نظر کرد و تصمیم گرفت آنها را از اسارت و بندگی نجات دهد So it was a long journey. It's a long journey of taking a flight from Toronto to Vancouver with a layover, then an overnight flight of, of 12 hours or more, and you finally landed in your home country. The thing is, it's been 30 years since I've been back home. I came in 1987 and have never gone back to Korea <clears throat> for 30 years. So after 30 years of waiting, I made this trip finally back home. The funny thing is, you go home and realize this isn't your home. Though I looked like everybody and I could speak the language, not that well, but enough, right away people knew that I wasn't from Korea, like I was, I was a foreigner. It's weird to be a foreigner in your homeland. Being a foreigner in a foreign country, which is... Canada for me, it was another thing to feel like a foreigner in your homeland. But one thing I love about vacation, of going away somewhere, is when you're coming back home and when you're on an airplane and you see the Toronto skylines, right? And you're like, oh, you start seeing things that are familiar and you land and you're like, oh, I'm in Toronto. You're driving on 401 and you're like, oh, yeah, this is Toronto, <laughs> right? Like, oh. I don't miss this, right? <laughs> but even when, when we go on trips like just uh, across the border in Buffalo, and as you come back in to, to Toronto or, or you know, uh, to Niagara Falls and you cross that bridge and the metric sign is back on, you're like, oh, this is, this is home. There's something about coming home that feels so good, isn't it? Like vacation is great, but coming home is even better. But what would happen if you couldn't come home? What if you couldn't come back from your vacation? Would that be vacation anymore? For many of us, actually, over 51% of Torontonians have been born outside of Canada. Who, who here has been born, born outside of Canada? Yeah, yeah, maybe you get close, close. We're almost half, close to it. And many of us have left our homes for many different reasons, whether it's for a better future for your children or you were forced out due to war or, or people have made Toronto due to war or other kind of oppression. People have made Toronto and this country our home. And if you look at our story today, we see Moses being driven out of his own home, 
Sure, it was due to a very different circumstance. He actually murdered someone, and because of that, he was a fugitive, and so he had to flee uh, Egypt. But, you know, he grew up in a very complex situation. As some of you know, Israel has been under the rule of Egyptians, where Pharaoh had forgotten about Joseph, who came and saved the people of his, uh, uh, the Egyptians from famine. And this is many generations later, where the Egyptians are now feeling threatened by the size of the Israelites. They felt that the Israelites were starting to take over, and so Pharaoh decides to oppress the Israelites by forcing them into slavery. Exodus 1.11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built um, Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. They built store cities. So these are like cities where you could store goods. Uh, so they, they created cities. So it would be like our locker storage places, but much bigger, right? So this, this like they're building cities for, for them to store uh, things. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Yet we know in the story that the Israelites... Uh, were resilient and continued to reproduce. And so in order to curb the Israelites' population, Pharaoh commanded that each Hebrew midwife kill the baby of the, uh, if it was a boy. And when the midwives did not comply, he gave another order to all the people that every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile. It is within this context we see what happens to Moses Moses is rescued by one of the daughters of Pharaoh and is adopted by her as one of her sons. Moses grows up under the tutelage and household of Pharaoh's daughter, yet as a Jew. He is a foreigner in a land of his birth where his ethnicity reminds him of the slavery and the oppression that his people are under, yet in his station gave him education and privilege. He's caught in the middle, as it were, as, as a Jew living in a Pharaoh's home, in the Pharaoh's home, in a country where his people are oppressed. Here we can see a little bit of Moses' personality. I think he was one of those people who stood up for justice. He, he didn't stand for injustice, right? So we see here Moses killing the Egyptian for beating on one of his people. He then tries to break up a fight between two Hebrews, and that's where he finds out, oh, people know that I did this thing, and so I'm going to run away. And then lastly, we see him rescuing uh, the, the daughters of Ruel uh, from the shepherds that were um, harassing them. And so because of this, Ruel, the father of the woman that uh, he rescued, gives one of his daughters, Zephora, to Moses to marry. We're in this sermon series called Making All Things New, where we are looking back to remember the stories that speak of how God gave his people hope in times of waiting. This morning, we're looking at the story of Moses and how he had fled his home, a home again filled with oppression, and has now settled into Midian with a new wife and a new family. Yet we see that he is not really settled and longs for home by the way he names his son. 
Exodus 2.22. So Pharaoh gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Can you imagine naming your son a name that will be a constant reminder of the act or the fact that you are a foreigner in a foreign land? Every time you saw your son, it's a reminder that you're a foreigner in a foreign land. I've lived in Toronto for almost 40 years, and in those 40 years, there were times where I was very aware that I'm not from here, and we even faced racism, and we're called names. But to call your son Gershom, an alien, a foreigner, it speaks to the kind of longing and perhaps a desire not to forget that he is not where he is supposed to be. That whenever he sees his son or calls his son, he is reminded of his home and his, his need to go back. Exodus 2.23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the, in, on the Israelites and was concerned about them. This long period of time wasn't a few years, but rather 40 years. Moses was around 40 when he uh, left and fled um, from Egypt to Midian. And now after another 40 years, when he is 80, the king of Egypt had finally died, which meant that Moses could possibly go back home. The writer of Exodus tells us that the Israelites were under such oppression that they groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help went up to God. God heard the groaning and he remembered his covenant or promise that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Have you ever heard the phrase, promises are meant to be broken? Have you ever wondered why we have such a phrase in our, in our vernacular, like how that came to be? It's a common saying because people have broken promises. All of us have experienced people who've made us promises and have broken them. And so we have that saying, promises are meant to be broken. And we just accept it as a thing. Well, I looked it up to see where this phrase came from. And it actually is a little different. It says, promises and pie crusts are meant to be broken. Right? They're like pie crusts. They're meant to be broken. So we have another saying. Don't make promises you can't keep. Right? Because it, it sucks when someone breaks a promise. And one thing I've tried to do as I've been a you know, parent for, for 18 years now is to not make promises that I can't keep. I, I don't want to say I promise I'll do something and then break it. Right? Like you don't want to be that parent that breaks promises. Right? But there's been times where whether or not it's just because you're busy or you're caught up with something where my kids have to remind me that I told them that I was going to do something for them. Like, you know, we're going to go after doing the shopping, we're going to go and get bubble tea or something, right? But I'm already all, all, all the way home. I don't want to go back out and get you bubble tea and I'm not going to spend more money on you. It's like, right? So I'm just like, can we go next time, right? And so, you know, you go next time, right? So or, you know, so like your, your kids remind you of the things you said you were going to do for them. 
But, you know, kids don't understand, right? There are things in life that happen, you know, you can't control everything. And so, you know, they have to understand that you can't always get what you want. And, and sometimes promises are meant to be broken. So, but I do try really hard not to make those kind of promises because I don't want to give my kids false hope or, or to teach them that, you know, their dad breaks promises, right? That no one wants to be that kind of father or, 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 or a parent. So, but this is the thing, isn't it? When we are pre- preoccupied with something urgent or we're caught up in a situation, it is hard for us to remember some of the promises we've made or, or the promises that, that, are, that are there, and we, we tend to forget. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God, in the story, heard the groaning of the oppressed, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what was this covenant or promise that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Genesis 12, the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 26.3, this is to Isaac. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your descendants... I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. And then to Jacob in Genesis 28, 13, the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I mean, memory is a very important thing, isn't it? If you can't remember your past, you can't know your present nor your future. Not only that, if you can't remember your past, you lose yourself. You've, you lose your identity. That's why Alzheimer's and dementia can be so hard because they forget not only who they are, but they can also forget you. Our identity, our very identity is wrapped up in our ability to remember. And this is one of the reasons why in the midst of our waiting, we are called to remember. To remember what God has done in the past and also who we are in God so that we can have hope for the present and for the future, whatever the circumstances may be. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. The main point that I want us to pay attention to this morning is that we need to remember that God remembers. In the midst of our waiting, in the midst of our pain and suffering, in the midst of sorrow or or displacement, living in a country as a foreigner, that God is a God who remembers. Our hope is not just in our remembering, but rather in the fact that God remembers. 
the verb remember appears 169 times in the Old, Old Testament. Of these 169 times, God is the subject 73 times. That is, God remembers 73 times in the Old Testament. What is different about God is that God isn't like us. Though we may forget from things, things from time to time, God isn't like us. He isn't someone that forgets, but rather God is a God who remembers. He never forgets his promises. We don't need to remind him, hey, by the way, I know you're busy saving the world or making sure that everything is running, but can you just remember the promises you made to me? No, God knows and remembers his promises. He never forgets. Yet somehow we think God is like us or maybe our parents who have left, uh, let us down from time to time where they've broken promises and have disappointed us. This is why we need to remember that God remembers we need to be reminded over and over again that God does show up and is with us. That God not only hears the cries of the oppressed in places like Iran and in Ukraine, but that God will remember his promise to bless all nations through the person of Jesus who calls us to live as people of peace. God is a God who remembers. He never forgets. He always remembers. Is that true? Well, there's a place in the Bible, actually, where he said, where it actually doesn't say that. Let me show you what God forgets. It's, it does say God forgets, which is interesting. This is what uh, it says in the Bible of what God forgets. Jeremiah chapter 31. No longer would they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God remembers his promises, but forgets our sins. God remembers his promises, but forgets our sins. We, on the other hand, remember our sins and forget God's promises. We remember our sins, but forget God's promises. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time letting go of my past I hold on to the mistakes I've made, the things I should have done or the things I shouldn't have done. We hold on and beat ourselves over the head over the things that God has already forgiven us for. What we remember, our past, our trauma, our hurts that we face, these things enslave us, they cripple us, they become shackles that continue to impact and shape our lives now and into the future. Whatever your past and whatever is part of your story, that is part of who you are. You shouldn't, you shouldn't forget your past, but you can let God into those places that you don't want to remember, the places that you want to forget or you don't want to deal with. Those are the places that God wants to be with you. The places of your groaning is where God is present and is with you. God remembers his promises and forgets our sins. I love that. If you don't remember anything else, remember that. God remembers his promises and forgets your sins. Verse 24, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. One commentator notes that in these two verses, there are four verbs 
That is four action words, or in this case, four divine actions. God heard, God remembered, God looked, and God knew. I know here it says that God was concerned, but the Hebrew word is yada, which means to know. So God looked on the Israelites and he knew. What did God know? God knew the situation. God understood their plight, their pain, their suffering. God was with them. God not only sympathizes with their suffering, but he deeply understands the pain that they're going through. We know after this section, Moses experiences, has this wonderful experience with God in the burning bush and then is commissioned to go and free the Israelites from Egypt. What I love about our passage today is that we don't know the ending yet. We haven't got to the place of resolution in the story. Moses and the people are still in the midst of this suffering. They're still in the midst of their groaning, and that is, that is when God hears that is when he remembers. That is, that is when he pays attention and he knows. You know, when someone is suffering or is going through a hard time and, and, or a, a, a painful loss, have you ever heard people saying, like, I know? We say I know because it's a way of saying I understand deeply what you're going through. I felt that pain myself and I could sympathize. Not more than sympathize. I can empathize with your pain. So I love that when it says God knows. That means God knows your pain. God has been there. And that's why I love that we believe in a God who suffered in Jesus Christ. Jesus has suffered. God knows what it feels to be in pain. And what I love about these four words, that they're very sensory, right? It speaks to the reality that God is not just this spiritual being out there somewhere who, is, who can't possibly know what we're going through, but rather God is a very pres- present God. He hears the sounds and the sights of what we're facing in our lives, in our suffering and pain, and in the waiting, God hears our groans, and he remembers his promises. He sees us and knows us and knows what we're going through. So if God hears sees us and knows us and remembers, why doesn't God do something for me right now? Right? Like, why do, we, why do we have to wait? Why do we have to suffer? Why do we have to go through this? And the, the honest answer is we don't know. It is a mystery. We can't control God. I can't say to you, well, do this and do that, and then God will do whatever you want for him. Well, we know that God is not a machine. We can't control God, nor can we manipulate God. So the honest answer is we don't know. God is a mystery. But maybe an, uh, another hopeful answer is that we believe in a God who is generational. We believe in a God who is beyond us, is beyond the bounds of our own timelines and, and our own narratives, right? So God isn't about making sure our lives are well and healthy and good and prosperous. God is about blessing all nations, all people. It's a story about God. History isn't a story about us and what we make of it. History is a story about God and what he is doing with us, with his people. And so then when we see history and even our narrative and our story within the timeline of God's story and God's uh, narrative, 
then we recognize that maybe we can have hope because not everything happens in our lifetime. It's not about us. It's beyond us. Sometimes I think when we look at the stories in the Bible, we see like God working, bam, 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 like doing miracles, doing all these things and amazing things. But what we don't realize is that these are stories that have happened over hundreds and thousands of years. They don't just happen. Moses didn't just have a burning bush experience. He was in the wilderness for 40 years. He was married, living in a, in a foreign land as a foreigner for 40 years. That's like my whole life, lifetime, right? So he was waiting that long for something to happen. It's an awareness and acceptance that the world doesn't revolve around us, but rather it revolves around God. This is why the promise God remembers isn't just to Abraham, but to Isaac and to Jacob. Abraham never received the promise of a great nation. He only had one child, one son. I should say he had more than one child, but he only had one son through whom this was going to happen, which was through Isaac, his son. Yet he died with the hope that it would be through his son Isaac that God would bring about his promises. We can have hope because these stories, these memories of how God has worked through many generations shows us that God is working throughout history, beyond our timelines, that God is doing something bigger and greater than our own little lives, yet still cares for us and is with us in our suffering. We can endure and have hope now because we know that God is with us and remembers the promise that he has made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to Moses, and to the prophets, and ultimately in Jesus. This generational hope is something that we can claim for ourselves because we are part of God's story now and his promises being played out throughout history. We're part of that lineage, that generational promise that God has given to Abraham. And what I love about this generational hope is that we can have hope even in death. It is an awareness that not everything that we think should happen or that we feel God has promised us will happen within our lifetime, and that is okay. It is clinging to the hope that even in death, we can have hope. It is the hope that God remembers and carries on beyond our lifetime, and that even in death, we can have hope because Jesus has defeated death itself. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. Is there something in your life that feels like this long period of time? Is there something in your life that you're longing for or feel enslaved to? What causes you to groan or is heartbreaking for you? May you know that you can lift all these things up to God who cares for you, who hears your groaning, who sees your pain, who knows what you're going through and who remembers his promises. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful that you're a God who remembers, that you are not like us where we, where we need to remind you that you don't forget the promises you've made for us. But Lord, there are times where it doesn't feel that way where it really does feel like asking, where are you, God? What is going on? 
we can't understand. Yet, Lord, there are memories and stories from the past, whether in the Bible or in your people's lives or in our own, where you have shown up, where when we look back, we can remember of those times where you have and you were there with us through the pain and through the suffering. And so we cling to that hope and that you're a God who remembers, a God who hears, who sees, who knows us. And give us faith when we don't have it. Give us hope when we feel hopeless. In Jesus' name, amen.